Welcome to Supply Circles, stories from the innovators, disruptors, and improvers in supply chain management today, brought to you by AI Group. Hello, I'm James Scotland, coming to you today from the Yungumbar country. And thank you for joining me for this very first episode of Supply Circles for 2024. This is the business improvement podcast that asks the question, how can we in Australia create supply chains that are resilient and sustainable at a time when we are implementing the challenges of the three Ds? You know them, digitalization to keep up with your peer and, and your industries, decarbonisation to meet your legal requirements and targets by 2050 and in some states even 2045 or earlier, and ongoing disruptions, which come in many shapes, including industry disruptions, product disruptions, logistical interruptions and challenges, technology change, global inflation, generational change, worldwide pandemics, oh, and so many more. Each fortnight, I delve into different sections of the end-to-end supply chain. I chat with fascinating and interesting people, and we try to have some fun along the way. You know, back in the day when I was running businesses, I would always try and connect with an economist at least twice a year and seek out their advice on the broad view of the economy to get their insights into emerging trends. What should I be aware of? And this information greatly assisted me and my teams in planning my operations, my resource allocation, my sales team, and in setting targets and plans. It was critical information because often we uh, focused on our internal operations and forget to look outside the window. So I'm pleased to say for this very first episode of the year, I'm joined by a special guest and my colleague, Dr. Jeff Wilson, the Director of Research and Economics at the Australian Industry Group. I'm keen to get his thoughts and insights into what we've learned from last year and what the new year might provide in terms of challenges and opportunities. So hello, Jeff, welcome to the show and and, uh, welcome to 2024. Oh, thanks for, thanks for having me on, James. I'm, I'm, I should probably, though, apologise on behalf of economists if if you were only willing to speak to one of us twice a year. Right? <laughs> I, I think I would like to get that to twice a month. Um, you know, as as you know, some listeners would know, we're doing a lot of work at AI Group to get that get that ratio of economists to industry discussion going up a bit higher than that. But like, thanks for thanks for letting us in twice a year, mate. That's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I stand corrected. And I think that's right. You, you get the information regularly, but at least twice a year, you've got to sit down and have a coffee and say, now, we'll just yeah. go a bit deeper. Um, and that reminds me, a couple of episodes ago, uh, I spoke to my good mate, uh, Michael Kilgariff, who uh, talked to us about infrastructure in Australia. And, and Michael trained as an economist. And he told me once of uh, a number of economic theories, including my favourite, which is the dead cat bounce. And I said to him, as a marketer, if economists want to have a better rep, they need to come up with really good terms like the dead cat bounce. Do you know that one? Do you know other that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. It's look, it, it is a field that requires marketing makeover. I think that would be pretty, <laughs> like pretty understood. Um, and so, but yeah, certainly, like it, it's a, it is an important discussion. Um, and this is this is partially what we we have been trying to do with the, the economic research and economics team at, at AI Group is actually start thinking about how do we get that you know the different languages and the different cultures between economists and industry yeah, how yeah. can we get that coming together because what what we're trying to analyze and study is is key for operation and investment decision making in industry mm-hmm. so really you know get, getting getting that discussion happening is, is between like the research and the decision makers has has been my life's work so. Thanks for having me on, and hopefully we can have a go for the outlook for 2024. 
Well, let me introduce you to the listeners. Jeff Wilson is the Director of Research and Economics at AI Group. He is a very well-known and respected economist. Uh, he is a published academic and researcher. He has had a long career in international economic policy with a particular focus on how trade and investment shape the Australian industry and business environment. He has contributed to Commonwealth and straight economic state economic strategy developments. So that's the first episode of the year. I'll get my mouth right soon. Uh, and he's worked with Indo-Pacific Partners as well. Uh, as He's worked with industry development programs in the critical minerals, batteries and defence sector. And most recently, he and his team have uh, put together a report titled The Australian Industry Outlook, which is based on the stated expectations for 2024 by over 300 of Australian CEOs. We'll get to that report shortly, uh, but to just frame it, what's the report all about, Jeff, and, and why did you do it? So AI Group have been doing a survey. Um, it's, it's sometimes called the CEO survey, but it's really a survey of business leaders. So CEOs, managing directors, people in the C-suite from Australian industry for over a decade now. So this is actually the 11th year we've been doing this. And what we do wow. is we do this survey yeah. across all of our industry sectors, manufacturing, construction, engineering, all the technical and services, supply chain, warehouse transport, the whole lot. So industrial ecosystem of Australia, we go to the C-suite guys and we say, um, what, did, what was last year like for you? So can you tell us what your experience of 2023 was? And what are you thinking in terms of like, what are you expecting for 2024? And what are you doing in your business to get ready for the coming year? So uh, what's your growth strategy going to look like? Where are you investing in? Uh, what are you doing around workforce over the next 12 months? Um, and so the idea is to really get a sense where our where Australian industry leaders, like how they feel and their sentiments about the year ahead and some of the decisions they're making really to help everyone understand that. Because in, in the industrial ecosystem, you know, I don't know if it sells supply circles, it's a supply chain, right? Like what's, you know, the, the feelings and the sentiments that further up or down is, is what's affecting your demand or your supply. So, um, you know, this is the purpose of the survey that we've, we've now done it for 11 years. And the useful thing is we can actually put to this year in the context of the past as well. So we can say, well, we can compare to this as like it was during the mining boom, or this is like it was during pre-COVID, post-COVID, all of that stuff. Um, so it's been really valuable. Um, we had 300 industry leaders uh, respond to the survey for us this year. And and the businesses those people lead account for about 1% of the Australian economy. So we've actually got 1% of the total Australian economy in this data here. Um, so we think it's a really good resource. And it should be helpful for everyone to kind of understand what's going to be happening in that industrial ecosystem, how that can affect your business and how you might need to think about your strategy over the next 12 months in light of what your peers and partners are doing. Well, it's a significant piece of work then, uh, 1%, but also with 11 years of context to refer to, that's fantastic. And I like the idea of being a, a C-suite uh, assessment rather than just a CEO picking up all the different parts of, uh, of the economy by asking the leaders in each part of it. Good on you. Uh, we'll come back to that in a sec, but why don't we draw a line under uh, 2023? What, what did you learn in 2023? I, it was a busy year for economists. There was a lot going on. Some of the things that popped into my mind is the geopolitics was pretty complicated with Ukraine and Russia, and then late in the year, Israel, China, and Taiwan kept being an issue. Uh, we had global, economic, uh, global inflation. Uh, we had the rise of AI in some, in some parts. Um, there's a lot going on. What did we? Oh, also the IRA in in, uh, in America, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. There was just a lot happening. 
draw a line under it. What did you learn as a, as a head of head of research? Um, look, we've always thought it, life became very hard for not just economists, but any of us who are trying to understand how the industrial ecosystem is working. You know, people having to do forecasts. What, what am I doing next year? The, the pandemic was really hard for us because all your normal rules of thinking, oh well sales are going to go up by 10% or five, you know, you could increment stuff from based on past experience completely went out the window during the pandemic. This is this once in a generation disaster. Everything was quite strange. You know, the level of volatility and unexpectedness we kind of got used to during that period. And I think after we got out of that, you know, 2022, but definitely 2023 was a solid completely post pandemic year. Right. Um, I think a lot of people think it would go back to normal. And one of the things that was really hard for us, I think, were some of those geopolitical challenges, which had that black swan element. Like it wasn't the pandemic, but again, no amount of work. Someone, for example, like some of the stuff that's going on right now as we speak in the Red Sea with, um, you know, shipping not getting through the Red Sea properly at the moment. There's no economist or product manager or logistician in the world who's going to be able to predict that in their their plans for 2024. And put the best strategic um, planners into a meeting uh, and you couldn't possibly scenario plan some of those things from last year. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think we thought that stuff happens that you can't scenario plan was a COVID thing, and we we we're now going back into we're now going back into things where you can foresee. Um, we we had that with I mean we had that with ongoing issues around energy markets and Russia. Um, we've seen that in the the Red Sea issues. It's been a number of other geopolitical problems going on. I mean, just last just a last couple of over the weekend, Taiwan's had an election, and that's led to some pre-escalatory talk from the Chinese government about that as well. That hasn't affected industry yet, but it could very quickly. I think that the lesson I take out of 2023 is don't think un- unplannable was just a pandemic thing and we're back into the world of, oh, well, there's risk that you can plan for them like that. That you could be hit by a black swan. It's going to be a fact of life. It might be a pandemic black swan. It might be a geopolitical black swan. It might be an economic black swan. But, we're, you know, we're living in the age of black swans, I think would be my lesson for 2023. And, you know, we suspect and we certainly see in our survey business leaders this year that that's what they say. The number one thing they're going is uncertainty. The, the number one response was uncertainty. The, the new normal is not normal. <laughs> we can't go back. Yeah. Oh, it's, um, abnormal is normal, yeah, is the point. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll work out that saying, but there's somewhere in there about uh, the new normal is abnormal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that we expected to see accelerate didn't. Uh, we expected, I guess, uh, a greater focus on onshoring. On, um, on sovereign capability of circular economy, of the rise of uh, electric vehicles a lot faster than they did. What were you surprised didn't happen and, uh, and why? Um, something that we did see happen that was uh, positive, I think is, is and I mean, this is topical in supply circles, is a lot of the supply chain challenges that we'd seen during the pandemic and they continued actually did start to resolve in 2023. Um, so we see global shipping costs come back down. There's always little uh, things about particular products and particular ports, but generally those headline indicators came back down to the normal levels that you'd normally expect them to. There was a little yeah. bit of overcapacity in the shipping, uh, in the container shipping industry. There was, yeah, because people had put a lot on during that time, so they kind of overshot a little bit. But we got back to normal shipping costs, relatively normal uh, for a lot of those things. Um, and to some, at least insofar as supply chain physical shortages went, you know, if we'd had this conversation last year, and I think we did at one point, we were talking about you can't, people weren't able to, they were concerned about the access 
in the supply chain. So we can't, you know, I've got to wait nine months for something that used to take nine weeks. I've had to build up a huge inventory, you know, fill the warehouses because we need all this, this, this just in case stock in place because of that. Well, we have seen a lot of that sending. Um, the bit of the supply chain that hasn't fixed itself. Well, sorry, what have we seen? We've seen that come down, have we? The, the people aren't building yeah. their inventories as much as we we were expecting out of COVID. Well, no, inventories have been run down, and, and certainly what we saw in the in our survey of industry leaders this year was that most industry leaders said, "Well, we're not building inventories anymore. Okay. We're actually going to let them run down. We're going to have more of a cost efficiency focus." So, you know, we had a just in case. Last year, I, we have gone back to a kind of just-in-time philosophy wow. and for supply chain. A lot of that's driven to cost because while the availability's fixed itself, cost still hasn't. Um, I mean, we've still got very high rates of inflation in Australia. They were, you know, for CPI, inflation was 8% last Christmas. It's kind of come down into the five, you know, six-ish. Um, but it's a long way to get, that's still a long way to go. It's, it's gone from being disastrous to just terrible. Um, and we're looking, certainly in Australia, another two years before inflation is going to get back to what we consider kind of normal price stability levels. Um, so while the supply chain availability issue has healed itself, the supply chain cost issue certainly certainly hasn't yet. Um, and we see a lot of a lot of businesses and industry leaders are saying, okay, so that's forced, that's getting us to rethink about how we can go back to supply chain basics. Just in time, how can we drive process efficiency? How are we like thinking hard about the inventory you're holding, thinking hard about purchasing against sales strategy as well? All those questions are really they're bread and butter supply chain issues for professionals in the field, but they've come right back to the top of the list in this high cost environment. Yeah, it does mean that we've gone back to risk management of uh, of our margins rather than risk management of our of the weak points in our supply chains. Uh, and that was exposed in, in COVID. Interesting strategies. Uh, what about uh, onshoring and what about, you know, looking to um, local suppliers rather than overseas suppliers? Uh, did we see that happen? Because last time we spoke, you said that actually hadn't really happened. We'd gone to nearshoring rather than onshoring. Yeah, certainly. What we've seen in our in our data, so we asked, we asked the industry leaders in Australia about this, uh, you know, what are you doing about your supply chain? Um, the top answers that we got from, you know, close to nearly half businesses were things like we're going to focus on their operational practices. So a lot of that, you know, back nuts and bolts, good supply chain management um, stuff. Um, a lot of them are also thinking about renegotiating their supply contracts as well. So really thinking about, you know, if, if we're buying more, could we get a better price, you know, to the commercial side of good supply chain management. Um, but we have seen that in, that onshoring or nearshoring thing come down. And in fact, Sourcing new overseas supplies is the lowest ranked supply chain strategy. Only, you know, one in eight Australian companies say that they're going to be trying to find new overseas supplies. Um, and the same number say that they're going to be looking to some local or in-house production. Okay. Okay. Um, and that, ref that reflects the fact that cost is now the principle. We've got this really big lingering inflation problem. How do we manage that? Um, and we're going to be well, – that's not to say companies wouldn't insource if it's cost-effective. But for most, they're saying this isn't about security of supply, it's about cost effectiveness of supply, and we're willing to consider all options as long as we can try and manage those that, that stuff on the cost side. Let's talk about inflation because it keeps coming up. It was the big issue of last year, I would, I would suggest. Now, my understanding of inflation is that it is the rate of price increase. Uh, so uh, we talk when we talk about inflation being at 6%, that's the rate of the price increase. The bit that gets talked about in vague terms, but not specifically, is 
if it was costing me a dollar and inflation is six percent, it's now a dollar six. If it then comes down to three percent inflation, it's now costing me a dollar nine or something rather. Uh, but it's still mm-hmm. costing me more than what it was before inflation. Is the the costs aren't coming down just because inflation is coming down? Is that right? And how do we as business people try and manage that? Yeah, what you, when people say prices are coming down, they mean disinflation. So it would be like negative three or negative six rather than six, right? That's extremely rare. Um, generally, economists we'd say we'd look at this stuff and we say prices tend to work on a ratchet basis. They go up, but they don't go back down. Part of the reason for that is, is the price of any particular object is actually caught up in a whole set of supply chains where the price of something, you know, the price, the price of a car is a function of the price of the components that go into it. And then there's other stuff that come off the price of a car, like the price of getting an Uber or something, uh, or, you know, or buying a taxi or transporting goods. If yeah, so, so, so the price of steel for the car mm. impacts on the price of the car, but also the price of transporting that car from Japan to Australia, for example, that uh, mm. impacts on the price of the car. And then, the, as we said before, the price of holding that stock until we can sell it is, is inflationary as well. So there's this sort of like multiple mm. inflationary aspect. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and all of that kind of through the supply chain stacks up. So, you know, a small thing can be a little bit like Chinese whispers through a, through a system, right? Like as it goes through those layers, everything goes up and up and up. It's very hard to come back down. Um, look, in a country like Australia, we would consider inflation is a little bit inevitable. Um, we consider what we call price stability. About 2 to 3% would be where you would consider kind of inflation that was normal mm-hmm. or acceptable. Um in fact, if it's too low, in fact, you, you, the one way you get rid of inflation, you can stop it by having a recession. So generally, we, as economists, we do like a little bit of it because it tells you your economy is growing. If you've got negative inflation, that's bad news for your economy. Um, but you only want that's where, say, the RBA and a lot of people would think that would should be about. And um, we've been hugely over that, and we're going to be over that in this country for the next two years by all the current forecasts. So it's going to be Christmas 2025 before we're back to to comfort levels in terms of that that inflation. Um, and the question, therefore, is that, well, what can companies do to manage that? Because that's going to be, that's a known, yeah. that's a known factor now. How can business leaders think, am I going to build that into my business plan? What can I do to bring it down? Um, can I pass costs on through the supply chain? Do I do I try and negotiate down? Can I drive efficiencies that add take my bit of cost out of the structure? Um, that's the really big question, business leaders, in lots of different ways depending on their industry, right? But they're all thinking about that right now. Yeah. Uh, you, you said being in Australia, we have to deal with a certain amount of inflation. What's the inflation like around the world and how is that impacting us? Well, this is an interesting one where inflation was kind of working in Australia's favour during the pandemic, but it looks like it's going to be against our competitive favour next year. Um, so during the during the pandemic, particularly 2022, uh, Australia had some of the best, like we had bad inflation, but it was relatively less worse than other countries around the world. So we had some of the lowest inflation in the OECD, even when it was 8%. The reason for that was at that time, a lot of the inflation was being driven by primary products, so energy particular Russia Ukraine war yeah, sure. um, and global food price global food prices during the pandemic there had been some droughts food demand some supply chain snails around the food supply and Australia produces food and energy so we were relatively better off than all our competitors so 12 months ago we could have said inflation's bad in Australia but it's com- relatively good it's a competitive advantage for us because ours is lower mm-hmm. that story's flipped as energy and food have come back out, and now we're seeing a lot of challenges around like 
management of the economy, the tight labour market, cost structure like that, Australia is going to have some of the highest inflation of the developed world in 2024. So we've gone from being bottom of the pack to top of the pack, even as it comes down. And that is going to have put, have an impact on our relative industrial competitiveness. Because mm. if you're competing, very often Australian businesses won't typically compete with uh, work, wouldn't be in manufacturing, for example, competing with Chinese companies. They're in different products and different niches. But if you if you look to the United States, like inflation still got a six, you know, still at six level, it's already below three in the US. So your US competitors are actually back to normal prices already, while we've got two more years to wait till we get rid of this inflation cost cost escalation problem. Um, and that's going to mean where we compete in high-value niches with other developed countries, Europe, America, Japan, Korea kind of competitors. This is this is going to be a relative competitive millstone for Australia over, over 2024, yeah. Perhaps that's why the CEOs are saying they're looking to source overseas. You know, it's mm. the prices overseas are better. Even though we're going to reduce our inventory, which is a bit of a risk, at least the prices are pretty attractive from what you're saying in terms of inflationary pressure. Yeah. Uh, um, just to finish up on uh, before we get to the, to the CEO's report, what, uh, what what are the economic trends that you're seeing? What are the big big macro trends that you're seeing uh, that we should be aware of? Well, so what we see if we're for the, the lookout to 2024 is some of those problems that industry kind of had to deal with during the pandemic and the post-pandemic wash-up period. You know, particularly things around inflationary problems and also the labour shortages, labour shortages in general, skills shortages specifically, and also that that has wage costs associated with it well, whether you're having to pay more to get staff, retain staff, or you have to pay them to do overtime. Um, but on the other hand, during the last period of the pandemic, demand was at least buoyant. So your costs were going up, your labour pressure was going up, but markets were going, yeah. you know, sales were going great guns. And so you kind of had a supply problem, but a demand, supply side problem, but a demand side good times and that they cancelled each other out. It's more of a margin problem, just trying to manage your margin through all of that, yeah. It does become a margin juggle. And some businesses came out ahead. Some businesses yeah, didn't yeah. come out ahead on that. But but there was one side was going up, the other side was going down. Like you, you could jiggle with, you could jiggle the scales, right? The problem we've got when we look at 2024 is the Australian economy, because of inflation, because of the very high interest rates that the reserve banks had to jack up interest rates to try and fight that back down. And that inhibits consumer spending. It inhibits business investment. It slows the economy. Um, that slowed the economy right down. And the Australian economy's growth is going to be pretty, I mean, mediocre would be the generous term for it. For looking, if you're looking at 2024, forecasters are saying about 1.3% economic growth next year, which isn't a recession, um, but Australia's long run is 2.7. So it's less than half of what we're used to wow. in this country over the wow. last 10 years. And in per capita terms, it is a per cap because our population grows higher than that. So from an individual a individual's point of view, it will feel like a recession because the economy is growing slower than population growth. Um, so that's what that's going to mean for a lot of businesses in, in industry is all of those supply problems, labour shortage, inflation, the supply side problem stays the same, but the demand side, which was holding the holding thing up, is also looking on the negatives. So you've got negatives on both sides of the scales in 2024. Um, and this is why that those problems are going to become harder to solve because you're not just going to be able to rate, you're not just going to be able to expect more sales, which is going to cover up the fact that the prices, the margins are getting weaker or we can we can increase sales by 10% and kind of wear a bit of margin loss. 
you're not going to be that it's unlikely on on mass that industry is going to be able to do that which is why the focus has to come back on those kind of classic cost control efficiency productivity measures um you know that we came to know and love during the 1990s <laughs> yeah I, I know when i was running the demand side of, of businesses you know the economists would always say uh, the economy is a perception and if the the general public feel like it's not good their spending is not good they we all save more uh, and then we've got a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy almost you know it feels bad so it becomes bad sounds like you're painting that same mm. picture of the 90s no, no and and consumer sentiment in australia consumer i, I sentiment, don't yeah. think anyone will need convincing of this point you know consumer sentiment's very weak house prices are very high inflation's bad you know there's a lot of bad news in the world as well which consumers are really sensitive yeah, to sure. uh, as well like and and that's so we're going to have the, the supply side problem will persist the demand side problem the demand side benefit will yeah. evaporate what do we do? That's 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 effectively the question. That looks different in different kinds of industries, yeah, yeah. like manufacturing, construction. There's lots of different ways that that question plays out. But that's what the entire industrial ecosystem has in common yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, nicely put. Uh, we'll get to the report uh, in just a moment. One last question before we do. Whenever, whenever I talk to people, which is which is regularly, <laughs> obviously, um, there seems to be some confusion as to whether or not there is a school shortage or a staff shortage. Everyone seems to have a different view of this. What's your view looking at the data? Both, both. So skills shortages in Australia are very common. Um, and this is partly because we're a small advanced economy, you know, with only a relatively small workforce, lots of stuff. There's always and lots of technological change that gets implemented here relatively quickly. Um, so, I mean, you could see something around AI. You might want to talk, we might want to talk about this a bit later. Like it's a new technology. Everyone's going to have a skills shortage on AI when you start because it's a new technology. No one knows how to use it. Just like for those who are old enough to remember, there were skills shortages around using computers back in the 1980s, remember, because suddenly they came into industry, very few people have been trained on them. That's that's a natural thing. Um, but there is what we've seen is actually what we would consider aggregate labour shortage in Australia. So not just a shortage of skilled workers, but a shortage of workers full stop. Um, you know, we have a very large number of job vacancies in Australia, probably almost double the number of job vacancies that we'd normally have, plus 400,000, depending on, and quite high, quite high job vacancy rate, got very, very low unemployment. Um, and we've also got very, very high labour force participation rates. So practically everyone who can work is working. And we've seen over the last two years a big push for a lot of different people that previously hadn't been engaged with the labour market, particularly women who have now come into the labour market as a kind of reserve army of labour. But that hits the limit. And effectively, we are working the Australian labour force that we've got as hard as we can, and there's still unmet demand for labour. Um, that does make the skills shortage problem worse. So you feel your skills shortage pinch worse at a time when there's general labour shortages. Um, but, but they are, we do have both at the moment. Um, and that means it's something that's not just affecting those classic, classic specialist roles. You know, Australia's been short of cybersecurity professionals forever. Uh, lots of other technical roles in industries that we're permanent industry that we're permanently kind of always always trying to get. Um, you now see you are seeing sh shortages for unskilled roles in Australia as well, and we have been for twelve months. And the forecasts are that that will continue through um, twenty twenty four as well. Tell me, my friend, do we have a shortage of economics uh, economists? <laughs> we do. In fact, we do. The number of Australians being trained in economics has halved over the last decade. Um, and we we desperately need more economists as well, particularly, I'm, I'm sorry to say, James, 
female economist. What? He's one of the few. He's one of the few areas in Australia. I'm very sad to say this is my profession, where the number of women doing economics at uni as a share has actually gone backwards. It's yeah. becoming more male dominated now. It's it's economics training today is more male dominated than when I went through twenty years ago, yeah. and that, that's actually scandalous in my yeah. view. That the the mix is going in the wrong direction. It's just it's there's something seriously wrong there. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't have I wouldn't have expected that. Um, but the uh, <laughs> let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the uh, the C suite uh, assessment. If you have supply chain or business improvement challenges. Contact AI Group's Business Improvement and Growth Hub. The Big Hub is a library of practical and relevant resources designed to assist member businesses to grow and improve. The Big Hub also includes an extensive network of experienced, pre-qualified business improvement consultants. For more details, contact big at aigroup.com.au. That's big at aigroup.com.au. I'm talking to my friend and colleague, Dr. Jeff Wilson, the uh, head of research and economics at Australian Industry Group. Uh, and Jeff, before the break, I mentioned we're going to talk about the Australian Industrial Outlook 2024 report. Is that a new name? Doesn't sound like the one from last year. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, look, we, we we did do a bit of a marketing makeover this year, but what we thought, that this is a really interesting survey because at AI Group, we're an industry, we're an industry body. We represent straight the industrial ecosystem. And that's who we have in this survey. So this is 300 C-suite leaders, CEOs, MDs, opera, you know, operational um, managers of those CFOs, but out of Australian industry, out of Australian industrial businesses, manufacturing, construction, engineering, supply chain, transport, utilities, that kind of stuff. And so what we really wanted to do was present this is this is the industry outlook from those industry sectors. So it's what Australia's industrial ecosystem is saying about the industrial ecosystem for the future year. Um, and there should be some truth in advertising, so we made the name. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and let's put some markers down. When's it being released and how, how's it going to be promoted? I think there's a webinar which will be a lot easier to look at than trying to talk about economic issues in a podcast. Podcast. Economics does lend itself to visual elements, yeah, so it's yeah. quite hard for me doing this just verbally. Um, yeah, so we'll be out. It's just been released on January the twenty second, um, and but we'll be having a webinar for anyone in industry. It does include our members, but you don't have to be an AI group member to come along. Um, where we're going to be talking about the survey having some findings and asking some questions from some industry leaders that we're going to get together and actually have a bit of a, a collective discussion about that. That'll be on the 8th of February at um, 11 o'clock in the morning if you're in a daylight savings season state. And, and head over to, uh, yeah, head over to aigroup.com.au uh, um, um, to, to get the details of that webinar. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned that one of the uh, sections you look at is investment, what CEOs or C-suite executives are thinking about in terms of investment. Uh, and we were talking about AI and digitalization, a key part of this podcast. Tell me about that. So every year we take a measure of like what business's investment intentions are. So firstly, how, what, how much investment you're planning to do next year in your business, what you're going to invest in, so what, what you're thinking about investing in, and why? What are the factors that are leading you to do that? Um, and what we've done this year is that a lot of the investment intentions have been pulled back because of uncertainty, rising costs, slowing demand. You know, only 
we, we have something that's called a net score, so a positive or negative score. And we've got relatively low scores for R&D spending and, and CAPEX, but old, old school classic CAPEX, buildings and machinery mm-hmm. um, for next year. We have a very high score, however, for technology spending. Um, and indeed, half of business leaders say that they're going to increase their technology spend in 2024. Um, and very few are saying that they're going to cut it back. So while invest that and what we can see in this is a kind of reorientation towards looking towards techno- various forms of technology spending to try and address some of those problems um, you've got around um, costs and um, other issues. When we ask businesses, well, well, particularly staff shortages as well, is staff shortages and school shortages might be solved by technology. Could be labour cost, could be could be supply chain cost. Yeah, and so what we then said that we then said to ask that we've got another question in our survey where we said businesses, well, what are you trying to achieve with these investments? So what's your what are your priorities to achieve? Um, the number one thing people said they wanted from their investments was business process improvement. Um, that was that was the top issue. We, we want to see our investment make our business work more efficiently and productively. And that's why you see things like technology. Staff training was also ranked very highly. So classic CAPEX, not a priority. Staff training and technology, very high priorities. Um, yeah, good to see the supply also, chain managers are winning the arguments. Give us some money to improve our efficiency. Yeah, and this is and so what we see is is when you see that that focus, it becomes very clear because they're saying we want business process improvement. We want staff training. Um, they also want a lot of investment in ICT, so, um, both, and this is importantly, both cybersecurity related ICT. I'm sure you guys have talked about cyber in the supply chain and the horrendous risk that that could be yeah, if that multiplies yeah. through, but also your classic I, I, ICT investments. How can we digitize the enterprise to manage costs better, to possibly use do some automation, particularly in the context of staff shortages and high labor costs? Um, and so this is really a back to basics we're not pulling back. We're still going to invest. So it's not a recession, but we're really thinking about back to basics of good. How can we make our businesses run more efficiently, more productively, and direct our investment not so much to the growth side? So we're not really thinking about how do we how do we grow this business. We're thinking about how do we make this business ready and for a slowing economy with cost pressures and probably a lot more competition that we're going to face over the next twelve months too. Fascinating, fascinating. One of the things uh, that we uh, learned during COVID was that the companies that were set up. Uh, digitally, we're able to um, uh, adapt quicker. We're able to to you know respond faster because they had the data at their fingertips. Uh, we, do you think you get a feeling that we're setting up for you know uh, adaptive enterprises, or are we going back to old school and locking down into the way we've always done it? There's a big challenge, and this this is a kind of industrial digitization question. There's a there's a big challenge yeah. here when we think about cybersecurity. Because on one hand, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people on this would be involved in, in Internet of Things, IoT for industry um, and what, what that looks like in the industrial context in Australia. Um, and there, there is this tension here between it because on one hand, having the digital factory or the digital supply chain, it lets you do much more with your ERP system, right? Like it's, it becomes a smart, it becomes a lot smarter, becomes a lot more connected. You can do yeah. a lot more stuff in terms of efficiency, cost-saving, productivity, the more that you digitise. The downside is there's also a cyber risk to that because once you do that, it goes on the internet and IoT devices become an exposure point. Whereas if it's dumb stuff in the factory, it's not smart stuff, it's dumb stuff. Hackers can't hack into dumb stuff. Um, We have seen, and this is why this year in our survey, we actually asked 
business leaders like could you could you tell us about your tech investments are they cyber related or general um and they actually we actually found that the number one was one thing was cyber so there's definitely an awareness of that trade-off but equally that does have to happen you know because otherwise in a high cost environment if we don't do that digitization so you can do automation and you can do proper workflow you know process flow management of whatever your industry's process is you're really going to you're really going to struggle to manage costs or be, be competitive in the uh, in the in the report there was a lot of supply chain questions is there anything we haven't covered in supply chain anything we should be talking about we talked about inventory for a start we talked about uh, looking for new suppliers and also looking locally anything else in that report um, we have a, we do have a number of companies that have actually told us because of the supply chain issues that they're looking to change their market offering as well. So in the survey about what was it, um, 21% of businesses said supply chain issues are such that we're thinking about what our market offering is. Wow. Okay. That might mean there are new product there are products that you're taking to market. You're like oh, the, the marginal inflation of the input cost of. Mm-hmm destroyed the margin on this we're not going to do that anymore because it just the margin's not there um you have seen that in, in some areas in australia with high energy prices where some companies are saying we're not doing that anymore um because the margin's just not there for that product it could also mean moving into new things as well though where we can see supply chain opening opportunities where we might have competitiveness um particularly in australia that year yeah. it's a rapidly changing world surely businesses yeah. have to be looking for whether or not their product is still going to be relevant in two years time and that sounds like they are. Mm, so it can be it can be upside and downside, but it's really interesting to me that one in five Australian industrial leaders say we're thinking about supply chain and structuring our market offering. Usually, you would go to the market, work out we think there's demand for product X or Y or Z, and then you would build a supply chain to meet market demand. Um, but this is an example where it's actually the cart and horse the other way around. We're saying supply chain is so important. We're thinking about what we're going to take to the market based on that. That's And one in five tell us in this survey that they're wow. actually thinking in that terms, which from a supply chain management point of view is excellent. I mean, supply chain managers rejoice here. <laughs> if you are one, we love you. But also really shows that while while those shortage issues we talked about, like you just can't get the stuff in, yeah. Yeah. have a base, that doesn't mean supply, chain's over. supply chain is over. It's now a cost issue and it's now how does that structure the whole business's cost, cost structure the cost and margin? What does that mean for our market strategy, our products? Supply chain is still driving industry just from a cost point of view rather than availability cost yeah, point of view. Yeah, it's a great insight. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing the uh, the webinar and having a look at the charts to, to make your life a bit easier. Uh, we should finish up. It's been a great chat. Uh, before we do, just putting on your economics hat rather than your research hat, uh, we're recording this in January in Australia. So naturally, there are natural disasters all over the place and that affects business and industry. Uh, what's happening? Uh, is our economy going to be affected in the next few months because of what's been going on weather-wise in Australia or we come through it pretty well? Have you got any sense of where we're at? I'm, re- ooh, I'm really reluctant for those, particularly if we are in mid-January when we're recording here, everybody, and I, James, I'm almost terrified I'll say it's been okay and I'll jinx it for the country. Yeah, you know, there has I, been something. I'm, yeah. I'm WA-based. I'm WA it's been 38 degrees here for the last week and there's been fires of house mm. losses every day mm. here in Perth. So I'm, re- I'm, really de- I'm really sensitive about saying it hasn't been as bad as some might have expected at this point in the year, but from a, at least from an 
industry point of view, that is true. I mean, big floods are Queensland as well, up where yeah. you are, but they, they haven't, we haven't gotten where, you know, where we were two years ago when the, a lot of roads were cut, particularly yeah. Melbourne to Adelaide, yeah. and that was causing, we just the luck of the draw means the natural challenges this January haven't haven't been in locations that got in the way of industry in the way that they did last year, right? Um, they're for the grace of God go we. And, and may, may this still be true in six weeks' time? Yeah. Is the economy <laughs> strong enough at the moment to handle these kind of, you know, intense pressures uh, or are we, are we in a fragile situation? Um, I think the Australian economy is probably able to handle that, particularly where these, these things in Australia often, often affect agricultural supply chains. Which aren't critical to national the national economy um, so much. I'm not sure the global economy is, however, and there when we're talking about natural disasters, they're they're more man-made than they're exogenous, but they're more man-made. There's a lot of there is a lot of geopolitical risk queued up, right? Has a situation currently in the Red Sea, Israel Hamas war, Ukraine, Ukraine Russia. Um, China, with respect to Taiwan, after Taiwan's just had an election, elected a pro-independence president, which has very much upset um, People's Republic of China. Um, election year in the all, US, uh, which affects the whole world, uh, as yep. everyone says, what's going on over there? Uh, just today, as we're recording, Trump won the Iowa caucus, uh, and he's known to hate trade and wants to blow global trade system up. Yeah, yeah. So, so it affects everyone. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of different risks. I mean, we can't I, – I don't think it's, it's it's our job to say which ones of these are going to happen or not happen, but I would would stress that the number of these little things that kind of queued up, probably most of them won't spill over into a disaster, but there is a lot of things on the precipice geopolitically at the moment. And sometimes one causes another one, right? Um, we'd be very concerned about that and probably need to think systematically like this this does mean risk is risk is not gone there could be things that end up looking like the pandemic for two more man-made reasons uh coming in in the next 12 months and so we would just say like i mean go and see you get some tarot cards out if you want to pick which one it might be Um, but businesses are going to need to be thinking about resilience for what for what if in those circumstances and a lot of the lessons we learned during the pandemic about how you get how you keep things going when suddenly certain things certain things you're used to just get cut off overnight how do we rebuild a business to keep functioning around that in six weeks um i a lot of those lessons for different problems are probably going to be pertinent over the next couple of years. So don't don't forget the pandemic just yet. Yeah, yeah. This has mm. been a great chat and and thank you for so much for some great insights. I think, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, a move to protect our margins, so reducing our inventory and uh, looking for, for better prices uh, from suppliers overseas, whilst at the same time, as you just said, where uh, there's plenty of pressures overseas that could blow that out of the water. So we need to balance our, uh, our, our operational risk against our margin risks. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a precautionary tale. Thank you so much. Uh, I would uh, encourage everyone that's listening to uh, tune into the, the webinar and see the pretty graphs and, uh, and your pretty face rather than just listening to your wise words. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, James. And thanks, everyone, for having me. Hope you have a great time. Well, that's it for another episode of Supply Circles. Thanks again to everyone for listening and thank you for your feedback. It's greatly appreciated. 
If you have any feedback on today's interview with Dr. Jeff Wilson or ideas for the show, or just want to give me some feedback, hit me up at james.scotland at aigroup.com.au or head over to my LinkedIn page. I'd love to hear from you. And we'll be back in a fortnight with more business improvement insights into the keys to building sustainable supply chains. Thanks for joining me. This is Supply Circles. I'm James Scotland. Bye for now.